Time in Japan, I'm Frank Ling. And from Chicago, Illinois, I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's show, the tech review and pterosaurs. In addition, we're joined by Mark Underwood, who will discuss Alzheimer's research. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And the world famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here on the Grok Science Show. to the program. I'm Frank Lang. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How are you doing, Frank? Pretty excited, actually. Why is that? Turns out one of our fellow alumni from college is a Technology Review's 35 top innovator. Wow. Who is the lucky recipient of the Technology Review 35? So this year they've chosen another 35 persons, and one of them is Professor Ellis Meng, now a professor at the University of Southern California. She was one of my classmates. Oh, yes, of course, Ellis. Ellis was in Lloyd House, which was, of course, the best house at Caltech. What? I thought all those people, like, lived and died for those they loved. See, for a page boy, you actually knew our motto, whereas I'm not really <laughs> sure what the page motto was. I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's that's very cool. So, as I recall, she was doing bioengineering work. Right. Her work's related to microfluidics. What she's trying to do is create these devices that could deliver drugs right in a patient's body. And the prototype uh, that she's come up is basically a tiny battery-sized device that could pump drugs into your eye. So these are for patients who have some sort of degenerative disease and need regular drugs to their eye. But instead of painful injections or implants and surgeries that they have, right now, what you want is a simple device that would release the drug slowly and could be refilled without having to go through any painful operations. Oh, that's very cool. Right. Well, she was always very brilliant, and it's very amazing to see that she's made the Technology Review 35, so congratulations to her. Hey, congratulations. So you mm-hmm. still have another year to make it, right? I should be working on the spare brain, which, you know, if not the Technology Review 35, hopefully at least it'll be sold at Walmarts everywhere. We need that. What? Yeah, it's part of the health reform package, right? And, and of course, you should be gunning for that as well. Well, so the reason why I came across this list was one of my colleagues from Berkeley is also one of the, the uh, top 35 innovator, a guy named Cyrus Wadi and he's working at LBL to develop cheaper solar cells. The idea is how do you manufacture in a way that's cheaper per watt of installation in a way that can scale up really easily so that it could easily manufacture anywhere around the world. Probably within a few years, there could be some big commercial breakthrough and then we'll be uh, buying new solar panels for everything we do then. Well, so congratulations to, of course, all the people who made the uh, Technology Review 35. And if people want to see all the innovators that have made the list. Just go to the September-October edition of the Technology Review. All right, Frank, so have you ever wondered about pterosaurs? Is it a type of dinosaur? Yes, it's a flying dinosaur, and people have always wondered how these dinosaurs were able to uh, land when they came out of flight. Are these the predecessor to our modern birds? 
that's what it's beginning to look like. So researchers uh, reporting in a recent edition of the Proceedings of the Royal Society B have found uh, pterosaur tracks, which suggests that they landed much like birds do today, suggesting that they may be either common ancestors or at least have a very similar pattern of flight as modern birds. So the evolutionary link. Indeed. So what they found were these preserved fossilized tracks where they showed these two prints landing side by side, skid and then a hop. Looks a lot like how some modern birds actually come out of flight. It was very cool stuff and uh, published in the recent edition of Proceedings of Royal Society B. Excellent. And I actually have something somewhat similar. It's an animal fact for reptile. Is this our animal fact of the week, Frank? Yeah, i got to try something new for my palate. Crocodiles, I don't know if they're tasty or not, but apparently they like to eat stones. Stones, really? You've heard of birds and turtles eating stones and that help with their digestion. But it turns out crocodiles mm-hmm. eat something a little bit bigger. Reasonably heavy stones stay permanently in their bellies. Researchers have found out that the reason for that, they serve as ballast so that it help the crocodiles to dive. Maybe the lesson here is if you're ever looking to dive, swallow some stones first. <laughs> well, uh, very cool. Cool animal fact of the week. And that's all for a look at recent developments in the world of science and technology. This is the Grok's Science Show. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, Mr. Mark Underwood will join us to discuss Alzheimer's research. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Grok's Science Show. Well, Alzheimer's disease affects more than 5 million Americans, and while medical science is striving to find a cure, preventative measures may be the best method for preventing the onset of the disease. What types of simple changes can be used to prevent Alzheimer's? Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Mark Underwood. Mr. Underwood is the co-founder and president of Quincy Bioscience. His previous research includes the calcium binding protein found in jellyfish and developing it for use as a calcium regulator in the human nervous system. He's also penned the book Gift from the Sea, and he joins us today to discuss lowering the risk for Alzheimer's. Uh, Mr. Underwood, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me today. Uh, well, certainly our pleasure, and I think this is certainly an issue that a lot of people are concerned with, of course, is uh, Alzheimer's disease and essentially lowering the risk for it. Why do many of us lose our memories as we start to age? Well, you know, on the outside of our bodies, we regularly see some changes that occur with aging, like gray hair and wrinkles. Uh, there are certainly some of the same types of things going on inside the brain. One of the particular areas of interest is that there are some very protective proteins that we have plenty of when we're young, that our body doesn't make as we grow older. And losing those proteins is one of the big reasons why we start to develop age-related memory loss or even Alzheimer's disease. I see. And so what sorts of uh, proteins are these and how do they actually work to uh, prevent uh, memory loss? 
Uh, well, they're called calcium binding proteins, and they work within each of our individual brain cells to help preserve the function of the cell. They literally help to balance out calcium and keep the brain cell in a, in a proper range of functioning. So without this uh, calcium regulation, we're not able to have our brain cells function properly because the amount of calcium becomes too great. We lose a balance that needs to be kept, kept within the body, and the brain cells literally sort of uh, short circuit. Well, so how can the various preventative measures that you uh, talk about actually uh, work to stem the uh, progress of the disease? Well, in terms of prevention, one of the best things to look at is avoiding stress in our lives. Being able to reduce the amount of stress that we have in our day-to-day life is the, the single most important facet of uh, fighting against Alzheimer's disease. Certainly, there are other things we can do for our diet. Eating healthy is a, is a very uh, beneficial thing, but it's, it's difficult to do throughout our entire lifetime. And we are going to have some of these age-related changes anyway. Even if we're the healthiest person on the planet, uh, our brains just change as we grow older. And with that change, we, we start to suffer this memory loss. Our company is interested in researching these particular proteins, and we find the best course of action is to replace them or supplement them with another type of protein. In our case, we've been researching a protein that comes from a jellyfish that performs the same biological function and can be applied into the human condition to help keep the brain cells protected. But certainly there are various changes in the lifestyle, for example, uh, just to uh, exercise, nutrition, and these sorts of lifestyle changes. How much can that uh, in and of itself uh, help to stem the tide of the progress of the disease? Well, no one knows for sure. Uh, we all know that keeping an active mind is very important. Uh, exercise is also very good for, for the human brain. Uh, increasing the blood flow throughout the rest of our brain is important, but there's, it's hard to tell exactly what the percentage of impact is. Uh, certainly in terms of our, our own genetic situation, our family tree, if we have uh, people with Alzheimer's in generations before us, we have about a 25% greater chance of getting Alzheimer's disease. There are some of the things that are, that are very important for behaviors, and that one of those things has to do with our social settings. People that have a, a strong support group and spend a lot of time with friends and family, uh, research actually shows that they have uh, a much less likelihood of getting Alzheimer's disease uh, with age because of the types of memories that are formed through those events, those are also very important things in, in recovery for people that might have already started with some sort of memory problem. What about certain changes to our diet and uh, types of foods that we probably should avoid? Well, one of the types of foods that you want to avoid is, is things like uh, white sugars. White sugars are inflammatory in the brain, and when taken in excessive amounts, although the brain needs glucose to, to run, certainly too much sugar in the brain causes an inflammatory response. And that's why often you see the incidence of uh, people that have mishandled uh, glucose levels, like diabetics, also getting Alzheimer's disease. So the more that you can do to adjust your diet, the things that you would do to, to prevent or, or to manage a diabetes type of a disease uh, could also be managed to help prevent the inflammation that can also lead to Alzheimer's. You also talk about walks in the sun as actually being very beneficial for uh, preventing the disease. Uh, yes, yeah, so taking a walk, taking, doing something relaxing, uh, allows you to incorporate exercise. It also allows you to, to get vitamin D, which is very healthy for you. It allows you to literally, it's usually a stress-free or a relaxing type of an event. And so the culmination of all those things sort of, sort of comes together. Taking a long walk, reading a book, uh, spending time with your family, they might seem sort of trivial in their innocence, but they're actually very effective in helping to, uh, to calm the body down and relax and allow the body to, to prevent the onset of the disease as, as long as we can. Uh, one important thing to remember, though, in terms of memory loss is that 99% of people that experience memory losses in aging aren't experiencing that in relationship to Alzheimer's disease. That's just sort of the day-to-day -day memory loss that we're all susceptible to. And those types of events, whether you call them senior moments or, or whatnot, 
you know, start to occur around age 40. And that should inspire us to, to take more active steps to prevent these types of things from occurring in greater quantity as we grow older. How does one tell whether or not uh, senior moments, as you put it, are just a symptom of normal memory loss or whether they're sort of a symptom of something more serious? Well, there's no way to know in the beginning until those senior moments start to pile up and you start to lose track of very familiar things, uh, very familiar faces, family members, and so forth. Uh, major changes in mood, for instance, also can be uh, an indicator of an Alzheimer's uh, disease situation. Uh, now, it's, it's hard to tell when, when one stops and when, when the other begins. There's a lot of gray area in between. But rest assured, memory loss is not something that naturally heals itself. Uh, it is a part of us growing old, just like, you know, I can't, you know, you can't run as fast when you're 80 as when you're 20. Why? Well, there's just changes in the body that have, that have changed, and the performance of the body has changed. The same types of things happen inside the brain. An 80-year-old, even a perfectly healthy 80-year-old, is not going to have the same type of mental acuity as someone that's 25 or 30. Now, the most likely going to be much wiser and much more knowledgeable of things, but on uh, account of speed or recall as it relates to memory, they are going to have some disadvantages because the physical brain has changed. Uh, so what are the uh, mechanisms or biological mechanisms that are thought to cause Alzheimer's? Well, in Alzheimer's disease, there's a known accumulation of what's called beta amyloid protein. And that beta amyloid protein is, is, is caused by several different genetic factors and starts to pile up on the cell membranes. It accumulates on the, the brain cell membranes and causes some interferences in how the, the brain cell naturally works. These uh, proteins have been shown to actually cause the cell membrane to become more porous and allow more calcium to enter the cell. If that happens, the accumulation of calcium in the cell goes back to the, the need for these types of calcium binding proteins. Too much calcium in the cell overexcites the cell. Certainly for a period of time, it makes the cell not work properly, and at the end result, the brain cells will actually die. In an Alzheimer's patient, you can certainly see physically, if you looked at a cadaver with Alzheimer's disease, you could actually see in the brain the loss of proteins. The brain has literally shrunk. You can see space between the skull and the brain. It's quite a dramatic uh, visual. Now, that happens to all of us as we grow old to some extent, but in an Alzheimer's patient, it happens much more rapidly at a much more accelerated rate. So the goal in order to properly take care of something like Alzheimer's disease is find new ways that you can control the calcium imbalance that happens within the cell. I don't know exactly how that can be accomplished by removing the beta amyloid, but again, uh, one of the exciting things about our research is that we're looking at these proteins to see how they can actually address the end result of the amyloid proteins accumulating in the cell membrane affecting the calcium inside the cell. I see. So essentially you're targeting the, uh, the calcium influx into the cell by having this sort of calcium chelator to uh, bind it up. Is that the idea? Exactly. And that's, that's exactly how our bodies work when we're young. In our youth, we have plenty of these types of calcium binding proteins. And they work, they work like, uh, sort of like chelants or, or buffering agents that sequester the rest of the, the free calcium to prevent it from overstimulating the cell. And as we grow older, our body stops making these proteins in a greater quantity that we need. So at around age 40 is when this happens, and then we start to see the memory problems start to increase as a result of the cells not functioning properly. So our goal is to show that by replacing the proteins, we can help take care of the calcium imbalance, take care of the reduce the stimulation to the brain, keeping the cells alive longer. So although that started out theoretical many years ago, we've now taken it to, in our animal models, we can keep about 50% more of the brain cells alive longer. And so that's really quite a remarkable advancement in order to understand how we might be able to prevent this disease in the future. So I understand that there's uh, currently a drug in development as well to regulate the calcium levels in the brain. 
in fact, it's all derived from protein that was discovered in the jellyfish back in the 1960s. And a lot of people have heard about this protein because the original uh, discoverers of the protein last fall, they won the Nobel Prize for Chemistry. They were interested in how a rare species of jellyfish would glow in the dark out in the waters of Puget Sound, and they identified a protein called aquarin. And as they identified the protein, they recognized that the reason that it would luminesce or glow is because in the seawater, it would, it would bind with the calcium ions that are in the salt water of the, of the ocean. Well, for them, was a very novel discovery, which allowed us to apply the technology into many different fields of research to help understand you know, how uh, uh, different cells behaved and how calcium behaved in different physiological mechanisms. So last fall, for their 40-some years of work, they won the Nobel Prize for Chemistry. When we started our pursuit, we worked with the same protein. There was a great body of knowledge behind it. It was known to be safe and effective, and it was known as mechanism of action. So as we applied the research into first our animal research and then into the human condition, we were able to see that not only was it able to provide that luminescence benefit before, but it was actually more importantly to us able to, to buffer the calcium ions in the cells to allow our brain to work better. Uh, so how far along is uh, the development of this drug, and can people look forward to perhaps using this to help alleviate conditions of Alzheimer's disease? Well, as a drug, we're still in development, in the preclinical stages of development, to get it into to be officially recognized as a drug for Alzheimer's disease. But since it's a naturally occurring protein, what we have done is we've taken the protein and we've provided it in the form of a dietary supplement so that people can actually get this jellyfish protein. Now, in those cases, note that it's not for the treatment of Alzheimer's. It's for helping out with age-related memory loss, which is something that we all suffer from as we grow older. We can replace the proteins in the brain with this jellyfish protein. And uh, the exciting thing is the human, human trials are, are showing that in healthy people that have been studied, you can, you can indeed see a memory benefit in as short as about 30 days. So that's incredible. So this protein actually is able to cross the blood-brain barrier and... Well, it's, it's working by, by regulating the calcium for sure, and it's measurable because you can see those types of benefits and uh, the reduction of memory disturbances that people have. The protein itself works by managing the, calci managing the calcium inside the cells of the nervous system. So in some cases, it's regulating you know, the spine as well as the brain. And in some cases, it's also working uh, and being absorbed in, in the stomach because you have a lot of different neuroreceptors that are located there as well. So it's a, a very interesting proposition to see that something from the jellyfish is working so well in the human being. But one of the interesting things is that the jellyfish nervous system behaves a lot like yours and mine. Uh, it has to maintain a proper level of calcium, which for it is even more important because it needs that calcium as part of its stinging response. That's why the jellyfish has this abundance of, of protein. So through its discovery and its application to the human condition, well, we can see uh, good benefits not only for the healthy people that have been tested with it so far, but also for future pharmaceutical applications. Uh, so are there other hosts of uh, diseases that uh, could benefit from this kind of calcium uh, regulation? Yes. Um, the depletion of calcium-binding proteins is, is chronicled very much in the uh, medical literature. And the loss of proteins in different regions of the brain actually is responsible for different types of damage in different neurological conditions. For instance, in the part of the brain called the substantia nigra, these calcium-binding proteins are diminished in patients that have, excuse me, that have Parkinson's disease. These proteins are diminished in parts of the brain that are affected with Huntington's disease. Uh, they're diminished, of course, in Alzheimer's and the hippocampus, which is a memory loss disease, and that the hippocampus is the part of the brain that processes memories. And in a variety of other neurological conditions, the loss of these calcium binding proteins has been implicated in the pathology of the disease. So we're very excited that uh, replacing these proteins could have much more impact than just affecting people with memory loss, but also helping out people that have much more serious conditions.
Well, it is very exciting. Uh, we are running slightly out of time. I'm curious if maybe people are interested in the supplement that you have, where they can go to find out more information about your uh, research and your, your technology. Uh, sure. Uh, the best place to look for information about our, our supplement is at our website, Prevagen.com, P-R-E-V-A-G-E-N.com. Secondly, they can call a toll-free number, 888-818-MIND, M-I-N-D, and they can find out more about how Prevagen might work in their particular circumstances or certainly get more about the technical information about the product. Uh, our staff is very knowledgeable and very, uh, very astute in terms of answering those questions. And so Prevagen as a supplement has been on the marketplace for nearly two years, and it is distributed nationwide. Uh, we've got several clinical trials that we've completed for the product, and uh, the benefits to human are pretty, pretty clearly denoted. That research is posted on our website. And certainly, uh, just looking on the Internet, you can find other sources of people who have taken the product or, or seen the research and so forth and actually look at their comments. You don't just have to take my word for it. Uh, this is something that we've presented at the Society for Neuroscience for the past couple of years. We do our research in conjunction with the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. So uh, we've got a lot of research behind this. We've been working on it for 14 years, uh, sort of standing on the shoulders of the Nobel Prize winners, um, some, some really neat things that are going on with this protein. And we're excited because... Ultimately, you know, you do science so that you can, you know, advance the field, but certainly it's great when you can go ahead and help people right away. Well, it certainly all is very fascinating. And uh, Mr. Underwood, I do want to thank you very much for joining us today to talk about all the very fascinating developments that are going on uh, there at Quincy Bioscience. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me on today. And you were just listening to Mr. Mark Underwood discussing advances in Alzheimer's research. This is the Grok's Science Show. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, it's the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week. So stay tuned. It's time to play the game, the Grokatron 5000. It's our supercomputer, formerly known as Deep Blue. Today, the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic, sharp as a tack or dull as a doorknob. So for the following five people, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know if you think they're sharp as a tack or dull as a doorknob, and uh, maybe a little reason why. Uh, Mr. Underwood, you ready to play the game? I sure thing. Okay, here we go. Person number one, sharp as a tack, dull as a doorknob, Paris Hilton. Uh, dull as a doorknob. She's famous for being famous. There, there are many other people in this world that deserve their 15 minutes. Unfortunately, she's soaking up several hours or days' worth of coverage. All right. Person number two, uh, Bill Gates. Uh, well, Sharper's attack. I really don't know personally, but uh, he's managed to build one of the biggest uh, empires in the world. And whether you like his products or not, he's done well at making them very popular. And I think he's really, uh, really changed the world. I think generally uh, technology is for good. And advancement technology is a, is a good thing. It can certainly be used for bad things, but I think Sharper's Attack, he's, uh, he's not only shown himself to, to be innovative and entrepreneurial in his own right, he's also shown to, to give back quite a bit. So I definitely call him one of the sharper people on this planet. All right, very good. Uh, number three is talk show host Oprah Winfrey. 
Uh, I think I'll go with Sharba's attack with, with her also. She's created, a, again, quite an empire for media and for getting out certain messages. I don't always agree with Miss Winfrey's opinion on matters, but that's okay. She's, she's sharp. She, she starts conversations. She uh, generally makes a positive impact in our society. And I think that's using her forum for, uh, for good things. Indeed, indeed. All right. Uh, person number four is the golfer Tiger Woods. Wow. Sharpa's attack also. I wish I would have started golfing when I was 18 months old. Anyone who's ever tried the sport recognizes that it takes some sort of discipline to uh, accomplish the things that he has in life. And uh, his intensity and his focus and his, uh, his competitiveness, this obviously, if you ask anyone on tour, I think they would also rate him as sharp as attack. Indeed, indeed. All right. And finally, number five, it's the comedian, Joan Rivers. You know, I'll go, I'll go with, with, with Sharp, with Joan Rivers, too. Her field and her longevity in, in the field of being a comedian long before there were many female comedians, I think that uh, show that she's had a, a great career, and, uh, you know, she's funny. Yeah, sometimes it can be a little bit annoying, but that's part of her shtick, so definitely a sharp person. Not right. bad. Only one out of five was dull. <laughs> that's pretty good, I guess. Yeah, so I guess we're doing good as a species then. <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right. Well, Mr. Underwood, I want to thank you uh, again for sticking around, playing our game, and of course, uh, talking about the uh, calcium binding proteins, Alzheimer's disease, and all the very fascinating work that's going on over there at Quincy Bioscience. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And now it's time for the question of the week. We have Wrangler Bob. Hey, it's, it's really good to be here, Frank, you know, because every time I'm out here, I'm looking up at the stars, and gee golly, there's a whole lot of stars out here in the Texas range. And I'll tell you what, sometimes we see these shooting ones called the Leonids. It's like this comet you see, and we cycle around. We hit some of the trail of this comet, and that's the fascinating Leonids. And every time you're outside there, gee golly, you're going to like it so much. You're going to ride the stars one day, huh? Thanks a lot there, Frank. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, Wrangler Bob. Yeehaw! And that's all for this week's edition of the Rock Science Show. Make sure you tune next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Grok Science, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.